0: An absolute pleasure. Whenever I get the opportunity to come and speak, so uh, I really do appreciate the opportunity. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Josh. I'm the youth pastor here. I look after the guys from anywhere from about 11 all up to 18, and then I have a little hand in what happens from 18 onwards up to 25 as well. Um, but we're going to get straight into the Bible this morning. It's the best place to start. If you've got your if you've got your phones or your notebooks ready. Get them out, Get be ready to go. I don't by any means proclaim to be the most eloquent of speakers, but I know this, that actually when God wants to use something, he's going to speak for it. All you've got to do is be ready. The notebooks is just a sign that you're ready, because actually when he speaks, it's important to jot down what he's saying. Let's dive in. We're reading from Matthew 4, and it's got a couple on the screen, 18 to 22. It says this It says, One day as Jesus was walking along the shores of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too, and they immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Let me be clear on this morning where I want to go. I'm going to literally just unpack two parts of this passage here. The calling that Jesus gives, you've got the come follow me, and then... That I will show you how to fish for people. Because actually I believe there's something in that calling that he gave to the disciples 2,000 years ago that's for us today. You know, the thing about public figures and, and if you're in society and you're a celebrity, you remain relevant by saying new things all the time. You, if you're a musician, you're only relevant when you're releasing new music. When you're an author, you're only relevant when you're releasing new um, books. What, did, what, the wolf, what the wolf is doing? Uh, new books. But God's word never changes. It says in Isaiah 40, it says, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. He doesn't need to add anything to his words. And he doesn't need us to add anything to his words. And so when he, we can read the, open up the Bible and the same calling that he gives the disciples he's giving for us as well. Let's crack on. Let's crack on. I want to look at what it means when it, when it says, come follow me. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Who does Jesus call to follow him? You know, how do, and how does that weigh up against how we follow him now? Some, some, you know, we follow him, sometimes we go, oh, I'm not quite as good to follow him. But who's Jesus after following him? He's intentional about who he picks, follows him. And then we'll move on onto that. And I'll show you how to fish for people. It may, you may have in your Bible that I will make you fishers of men. Interestingly, the Greek word for I will make means to um, construct or to give structure to. So Jesus gives us a structure of how, in his ministry over the next three years, how to make disciples into disciple makers. And that's what we're going to look at a little bit later. But we'll start by looking at a little bit of context. We're going to look into a little bit of context of where Jesus picks his disciples from. So we know that Jesus was from Nazareth. Nazareth was Well, it was raised in Nazareth. A small town, a couple of hundred of people there. We know that he was a Tektron, which basically means a carpenter or a builder. And the thing about Nazareth is, because it's quite small, it's unlikely there would have been too much work there. So it's the historians generally accept that Jesus would have spent quite a lot of his time nearby in a city that that potentially this is I mean this is we're reading into it but I mean it makes sense this is the nearest city nearby that Jesus hasn't got much work on in Nazareth he's probably going to be doing work in a city called Sephori. Sephori is about three miles to the northwest of Nazareth. And actually, what I want to look at is, why does Jesus not call his disciples from other places? And why does he get them from where he gets them from? Why doesn't he? Because if he knows Sephori, it's about three miles away. So Sephori's here. Nazareth, where Jesus is from. So he would have spent probably a fair bit of time in there, maybe doing some building and that sort of stuff. The thing about Sephori was it was known for having a great theatre. And so, and at the theatre... There was a, the, the people who were there were actors. The Greek word for that is hypocrites. In, interesting, isn't it? The, the thing of actors of hypocrites pretending to be someone they're not. When Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, it says to it says, when you when you give to the needy, don't be like the hypocrites. This is the word that he uses about the, oh, oh, I haven't got it on about um, but, but but you know, don't be pretending. Don't be don't be pretending to be something you're not. You know, if Jesus wanted to call disciples who are great communicators and could capture an audience, then he would have gone to Sephori. But he doesn't. Now, Jesus' desire isn't that we prance around and look like we've got it all going on. We say the right things. We look the right way. But our heart is wrong. He's about the heart. Now, we see all the time hypocrites following Jesus. In the Bible, go and read it, often in the form of Pharisees. In Mark 7, the Pharisees are having a bit of a pop at Jesus because the disciples aren't going along with their sort of like ceremonial hand washing ceremonies. And Jesus says to them this He says, This is Mark 7, verses 6 and 7, You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man made ideas as commands from God. You see, the Pharisees had seen all the miracles. They'd heard all the teaching, but the heart wasn't right. Following Jesus isn't just about your attendance. It's about your commitment. It's about your heart. You can come and you can do all the right things. You can look the right way. But in your heart, if you know you're just pretending, they're not the sort of followers that Jesus calls and we have to ask ourselves the question of, okay, okay, I need to get myself to be a sort of disciple, sort of follower that Jesus does call. Cool. I need to remove myself from being a hypocrite or an actor. I, like, I think hypocrite's harsh, isn't it? It comes across really hard. But like an actor, we relate to that. Somebody who pretends to be something they're not. We, we kind of get that. He's not about the hypocrites. If Jesus wants to go in a different direction, he could go to Beth-Shan, which is if you, if you go to the next slide, remember? so Beth-Shan here is about 15 miles down the the other way to Nazareth. And Beth-Shan was, uh, again, another up-and-coming growing city like Sepphoris was as well. Um, But the thing about Beth-Shan is they had a massive hippodrome. So a hippodrome was basically a big sporting stadium where people would come and watch the sports of the day. So if Jesus wanted to go and get a sportsman who would be able to pull in big crowds, then he might have wanted to go to Beth-Shan. But he doesn't. If he wanted to, Go and get somebody who's part of a big crowd. He could go to Beth-Shan. But he doesn't. Jesus doesn't want his disciples just to be part of a crowd. He wants you to be distinctive. To stand out. I think the the thing about the crowds, is we know the crowds follow Jesus in his time. They follow literally the passage after the... Uh, Matthew 4, in my Bible, is called Crowds Follow Jesus. So we know that crowds followed him around. Is that what Jesus is saying when he says, come follow me? Is he saying just be part of a crowd? I'm not sure. See, the crowds were always bringing their needs to Jesus. They were always bringing what they needed to have done, what was what was going on. Always demanding that he, he do the next miracle sign to prove who he was. But it's not about that. They were just trying to get from jesus what they could get from him i'll follow you jesus as long as you're giving me what i need you to give me they wanted to experience their power they wanted the experience of jesus not the relationship with jesus who knows that feeling sometimes don't we We just want an experience and then jesus says do you want to read your bible every day this week you go oh no i'll just come on sunday and receive it and that that, will keep me going no it's the relationship Jesus says this, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the wide, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. No, this is about a crowd, is it a crowd can't fit through a gate. It's one at a time. It's one at a time. You know, as followers of Jesus, it's about it's about your relationship with him. You can't come as part of somebody else. It's about it's about your relationship with Jesus. Let's not be people who just come along with Jesus and just try and get from him what he can give us. Following Jesus isn't just about getting what he can give you. It's about being with him. It's about being in relationship with him. It's not being like, Jesus, as long as you're blessing me, I'll follow you. As long as you do this healing in my life, I'll follow you. It's not about that. It's about relationship. Jesus is all about relationship. He doesn't go to Sephoris, the house of the hypocrites. He doesn't go to Bethshan. The place of the crowd. He goes to Bethsaida. It's literally a place that means house of fishing. The thing about Bethsaida is, it's part of the Orthodox Triangle. So we've got here, we've got you can see Bethsaida just above here on the Galilee, at the top of Galilee. You've got then sort of like what makes up the Orthodox Triangle is between Bethsaida, Torazin, and Capernaum. And the people of this is where Jesus goes and picks his disciples. And there's a reason why is these people up here were, were known as being very, very passionate about the Torah. There were people who are extremely known as passionate. That everybody around them knew them. That they were probably one of the most passionate groups of Jews that there was. They were. They had this weird interest in the north of Galilee about the kingdom of heaven, which is really interesting. When Jesus, when you think about what Jesus does to come and bring, and these were people who hated being under the Roman rule. They despised it, but Jesus picks them from there. Why? Well, these were people who were willing to lay their life down for the cause. These were people who were known for being passionate. Is that, have I spoke passionate wrong there? I have, haven't I? So, I'm sorry, everybody. They were known for being zealots, the, you know, the rebels, people who caused trouble, extremists. That's a difficult word to handle, isn't it, sometimes? They were willing to lay it all down for Jesus. And so when I ask the question of why, Jesus, do you choose your followers from this place? It's because he wants the same from us. And I think we have this image of our, in our brain sort of about extremists in terms of other connotations with other religions. But actually, what about being an extremist? Jesus was an extremist in loving people. Extremist in healing people. In seeing people reach their potential. That's who he was. He was passionate about it. And actually, if we want to be followers of Jesus, if we want to be real followers of Jesus, we've got to be people who are passionate about him. Passionate about follow him. He's not looking for hypocrites. He's not looking for people just coming along for the ride with the crowd. He's looking for passionate people who are willing to lay it all down, whatever the cost. I'm willing to follow you, Jesus. Now, Jesus, <laughs> what I love about it, Jesus. One of Jesus' disciples named Simon the Zealot. You know the Zealots were the rebels. They've caused trouble. James and John were nicknamed the Sons of Thunder. I don't think that was ironically, yeah. One of my favourite passages in the Bible is in Luke nine, where sort of the, um, Jesus and the disciples are going into a Samaritan village, and um, and they say like, actually, "Actually, we don't want you to come in." And James and John turn to Jesus and go, "Should we call down fire on them?" And I love that Jesus wants passionate people. Now he can he can take your passion and he can stream it in the right direction. But if you have no passion, you've got nowhere to stream it. Yeah. Jesus says, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. That's Matthew 10, 38 and 39. In Jewish culture, we heard this dad preach this a couple of weeks ago. The sort of how, how, how it worked with the rabbis is the rabbis would have disciples. They were called Talmudim. If you're not pace, then you have to read a book about Talmudin. So essentially, the Talmudin's world is disciples. We talked about it. A couple of, at 14, you would leave your schooling system, and the best of the best in the Jewish schooling system would then go on and pursue a relationship, a Talmudin relationship with a rabbi. And what that would mean is sometimes, it doesn't mean a student-teacher relationship, and sometimes you get confused by because a, st- a student just wants to get the knowledge out of a teacher. But with a Talmud of a rabbi, he wants to become like the rabbi. And so Jesus is, into, is speaking into a culture, and as, he, as he's calling these disciples, he's saying, come and be like me. You know the thing of what the, all the, what the, the um, Talmudim of the rabbi would do is they would copy every single thing he did, how he walked, how he talked, how he washed his hands, how he ate, everything they would replicate. And it's an interesting thing of actually going, this is how we should be following Jesus. Sometimes we're pretty good at the passive following of Jesus. Sometimes we're good at sort of like, just sort of like, sort of sitting in the, in the armchair. Everything right, Tim? Oh, no. On the recording. You can get it on the recording. But actually, we don't want to just be passive Christians. We want to be passionate Christians. People who really make a difference in our community. Let, let's crack on. John 13, 14, and 15 says. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Now, if we want to imitate Jesus, it's got to be about people. Jesus is people-centric. He's all about the person. So as we move on past that understanding, what sort of followers he's calling, when he says, come follow me, we move into the, okay, how do we become fishers of men? What's the structure? doesn't mean that we need to be whipping each other's socks off and washing the feet. Because I really hope not. I'll be just, if you're anything like me, I'll be like, I'll follow Jesus, I'll die for Jesus. But don't make me do that. Don't make me start out want my fingers in somebody's toes. <laughs> it's grim, isn't it? And as a church, we're committed over the next couple of months to this discipleship model. So much so that by January 2020, which is reasonably soon, we want everybody in the church who is actively involved. And what I mean by that is, is, is in church, regularly looking to grow, being assigned a mentor, somebody who can help them spiritual grow. We're behind this project because it's a thing that Jesus models. And so if we're going to be doing this, we're going to need both understanding what it means for us to be a mentor and a mentee. And Jesus gives us some great framework. He gives us some great framework. We're going to look at seven really quick ways, and then we'll pray to finish. That Jesus mentors his disciples into becoming not just disciples, but disciple makers. Number one, he models key disciplines. Right? Get your notebooks ready. He models key disciplines. We're going to run through these reasonably quick. Time and time again, Jesus models to his disciples the key disciplines of praying, of going to the synagogue, the church, knowing the word of God and the secret place. As mentors and as mentees, people who want to grow and grow others, we've got to be willing to get involved in the disciplines. That means getting up early sometimes. It means staying up late sometimes. It means reading a Bible. It means praying regularly. Jesus, who was God himself, as part of a three-year ministry, spent time, doing this, spending time with God. He would go off to pray, read it over and over again. Jesus withdrew himself to pray. Jesus withdrew himself to be with the Father. Jesus left the crowd to pray. If Jesus did it in a three-year ministry, he could have been preaching to the, to the thousands. He could have been healing people. He could have been delivering people, but he takes intentional time out to spend time with, with God. We have to follow his model. He gives us great models. Matthew 6, 6-8 to even gives us how we should pray. He says, when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to the Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. And the greatest way that we can grow in our faith together is by spending time with God. When I spend time with God, I am the most, close, the, the most closest to the created being that he created me to be than I can be. And when I'm not, doing those things, I stray away further. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That actually when you spend time with God, you feel like yourself. You feel like you're designed to be. That's how you're designed to be. And when you're not doing that, you feel like that's not how you're designed to be. You know it, don't you? There's a sign that goes, I don't, I don't know. If you're not reading your Bible regularly, do it. If you're not praying regularly, do it. Not a complicated... It's just, just do it. Now, if you are doing it, then as a, as a mentor... Tell you if you're doing it, you'll know the benefit of doing it. You'll know the benefit of close communion with Jesus, and then so lead others into it, and so be asking questions in a mentorship thing of going, John, how often are you reading your Bible? I'm not going to be you asking in front of everybody, but you know, how often, how often are you doing that? You know, go on. What about could you do it every day? Could I do a Bible plan with you? Help people to get into these disciplines. Can I pray with you? Are you spending time in secret place? You know, this is really practical stuff. Jesus gives us practical advice. Number two, he's authentic, open, and real. I love this about Jesus. He doesn't hide himself from the disciples when it gets difficult. He's real. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he's just about to be taken to the cross. And he takes his disciples. And as he's praying, not my will, but yours, he says that his spirit was in so much agony that his sweat turned to blood. Do you know how close his disciples were? A stone's throw away. Sometimes we have this thing in church that when we go through tough times, we isolate ourselves. It's a pride thing. That actually we say, I don't want people to see me when I'm weak. Or I don't want to think of myself as weak, so I'm going to withdraw myself. You withdraw yourself from God and you withdraw yourself from people. Don't do that. I want to encourage you. If you're, if you're going through a tough time, don't pull away. Pull in. Pull in. To Jesus. That's what Jesus does. He spends in the, in the darkest hours. Can you, I can't even imagine the pain of that it was so heavy that blood was coming and sweat that's real agony it's real agony in that time jesus spends time with god and he has his people nearby important if you're mentoring somebody it's okay to let them know that you're having a tough day <laughs> sometimes it's, we don't want to be like the hypocrites here we're imitating jesus okay so jesus was real if you're having a tough day it's okay. It's even okay if you're mentoring somebody to say actually you know I'm walking a journey right now and I just need to get I need to sort of sort some stuff out in my own life so I'm going to have to put down mentoring you for a little while. That's okay. Don't put a mask on. Don't try and pretend like it's all okay. That's not what Jesus did. Be real. Be real. Uh, but no that your testimony is really powerful. One thing that I'm finding in youth ministry at the minute is testimony is powerful. Joe's got good stories of that. Al's got huge stories of that, of actually where your testimony, testimony put into somebody's life is really powerful. So, so don't sort of stop it. I, I read a quote which I liked. It was like, you know, experience is a great teacher, but sometimes it's better for le- to let somebody else step on the nail. Do you know what I mean? It, it's true though, isn't it? Like Experience is a great teacher, but sometimes it is better to let somebody else go for the pain. Because your testimony can help your mentee not have to make the same mistakes. Not go through the same oh, pain that you went through. The same journey, difficult journey. Number two, he's authentic or real. Number three, he tells you the truth. But Don't, don't, don't pop onto this one just yet. He doesn't tell you what you want to hear. He tells you the truth. Have you ever had people in your life who stroke your egos? You know when you're going through a sort of saying and they're just sort of like That isn't Jesus. He tells you the truth. Sometimes those people can excuse your bad behaviour. It's right, you you can do that because you're going through a difficult time. Or, yeah, it's okay to make that decision. Lots of people do that. Jesus says, no, stop doing that. Do you ever look back at your life and wish that somebody had told you a truth about a decision that you made? I just want to show you some examples of my life where I wish somebody had told me the truth. This is, right, so... I wish that somebody had told me the truth that riding a scooter to prom wasn't cool, right? Who was there? Who was there for me? That's t- I want. I want somebody to tell me that green hair didn't suit. I don't know if you can see it, but that's, I've got green hair there. It doesn't. It doesn't match the tie. It's all, And this is the worst one. Nath looks really cute at the top, and then look at that fringe. Who's there? Who's there telling me? Look, look somebody. Yeah, I know. This is what. I'm, your parents should be there for you. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying they should be giving you... A, wait, I'll take a number one all over, but don't be giving me whatever that is. Look, there's a, you can see there's a parting in the middle at the Red Sea. Hey, you matched my teeth. We need to be people who tell the truth, don't we? Jesus says when you know the truth, it sets you free. It sets you free. Proverbs 27 says, A wound from a sincere friend are better than kisses from an enemy. If they love you, they tell you the truth. It doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. The truth hurts. I know it's sort of like a cliche, but it does hurt. But sometimes it's beneficial to free you. Sometimes you need to hear the truth. In a mentee-mentor relationship, you should be telling your mentee the truth. There'll be times where you need to say, you need to give that up because it's going to destroy you. You need to leave that weight that you've been carrying around for a long time because it's going to crush you. We do it in love. We do it in love, but we tell the truth. We tell the truth. The reason at one point where where Jesus is talking to his disciples about the suffering he's going to go through, and Peter takes him away and starts reprimanding him and telling him off saying, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Ouch. He says, you're just seeing things from a, a human point of view. You know it's okay to tell the truth when you're in relationship with somebody and it's close, and that's the important thing about love. Don't be telling people the truth that you've never met before, on the streets, and you will be like, by the way, you need to do stop doing that right now. It, it, it doesn't work. Like that mentoring only happens in the context of relationships. When you know somebody well, then you can. You know, Jesus knows Peter well. He can say it, and it would have hurt. Can you imagine? She said that. To him? We, in our British thing, we'd be offended. We'd be like, what? I'm never. I'm, I'm leaving right now. I like the fact that Peter keeps on going. And the truth hurts, but it frees him. It frees him. Ephesians 4, 15 says, We will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Speak the truth. Number three. Number four, he's available. When the disciples were struggling, Jesus was available. Now in that storm, when they were in the boat and Jesus was sleeping, he was available. As a mentor... For somebody else, be available. Be available. You know when it's when it have your phone on at night. For the, it may mean late night calls that people ring. Going, oh, I've got this situation. I've got this thing going on. I just need somebody to be there for me. Jesus was there for his disciples when they needed him to be. Be there for your mentees when they need you to be. Jesus's word in that in that boat that day quiet the storm. And your words. Jesus' words through you into somebody else's life can quiet the storm in their lives too. We have authority. It's what Jesus has given us. He's available. Number five, he makes them aware of the cost. This is an important one. Jesus never shies away from how much it costs. To be a disciple, you need to lay your life down. People come to Jesus and say, oh, can I follow you? And he says, yeah, but you need to do this. And they walk away sad sometimes. You need to give up you know, you need to give all your money away. They walk away sad. They can't do it. It's too much of a hold on it. The cost is too much. The cost of following Jesus is high. It's the best decision you ever make, but it's not. It's, it costs you. It costs you. In a mentoring relationship, that what we're trying to build here is discipleship. Costs you. It means that you cannot disciple somebody who's not willing to grow. And so if you if you, were, if you were to start mentoring somebody and actually you know, you're challenging some issues and, and they're just like, oh, well, I'm happy with the way it is to be honest, I'm not really. You can't intentionally mentor somebody like that. So you love them. When the rich ruler comes to Jesus and Jesus says, look, you need to give everything away, and he can't, he says that Jesus looked at him and loved him, but he still goes away. And so he still doesn't come into join the discipleship relationship because you can't disciple somebody and you can't intentionally mentor somebody who actually doesn't really want to grow it's all about a desire to grow but as soon as you and we'll love them and we'll and we'll put an arm around them but as soon as they're ready to grow again we're like come on let's go together you and me he makes them aware of the cost number six he builds a community so you're not on your own we're almost there now the disciples went through good times and they went through some terrible times together you may be going through a good time or a terrible time, but you feel a bit alone. This church, the church of Jesus Christ, is all about togetherness. It's about being together. The people around you can help you. Now, as a youth leader, I know that who you spend your time with becomes who you become like. With young people, that if they have good influences in their life, they begin to make better decisions than they do. And if they have bad influences in their life, they make some poor decisions. You need to sometimes be checking your circle. Who's, your, who's, the community, who's the Who's the? people that are around you? If you've got more bad influences than good ones, you need to be sorting that out. And if you're looking for more good influences, this church is a good place to find some. Because the church is full of people beca- trying to become more like Jesus. Trying all the time to imitate Christ. So if you want to sort of good influences, the church should be the place to find them. Use the good influences of the church. Sometimes you have to. It may mean you have to drop a bad influence. Jesus may be calling cool you to do that today. There's somebody in your life who's just having a bad effect on you, and you need to leave them to the side for a while. Do you want to jump up on the keys, Paul, for me? Number seven, he leads you into service. It's my last one, and then we'll finish. So much of Jesus' ministry is spent serving others, particularly the people that nobody else served. He heals those that need healing. He delivers those that need deliverance. He helps the blind see. He brings the dead back to life. He serves the needs of the people that he met. And as he sits with his disciples, as we read earlier, when he washes their feet, he says, As I have done to you, do to others. As a disciple of Jesus, we've got to be passionate about following him. We've got to be passionate about serving others because it's what he does. As a mentor-mentee relationship, you should be both demonstrating that you are serving others and that you are helping your mentee serve others too. That's the model that Jesus gives us. That's the model that Jesus gives us. Jesus gives us practical signs, words of how we can do this. Sometimes we make it more complicated. We don't need a 27 point plan just need to follow Jesus just need to follow Jesus' example we'll pray in a second I wonder if there's some people here who associate themselves right now with the hypocrites you've come to this place many times you've, you've been in church you've been around church a lot you know that there's just stuff in your heart which is not right the sort of relationship, the sort of discipleship relationship that Jesus wants with you means you have to lay stuff down. It means you have to be to, willing to sacrifice. Stop pretending like it's all okay. If that's you, we're gonna pray for you. I'm gonna pray that the passion comes back again. The passion comes back again. Maybe you're part of the crowd, maybe you're associated with that, and you know that actually at times you've just you've just you've you've been to Jesus for what He can, he can give you rather than just for who he is you've said prayers like jesus Or, I'll, I'll do this if you do that <laughs> like a trade-off situation and jesus says no. follow me come follow me and i'll meet your disciples so let's just close our eyes together shall we? and if that's you and you just you're somebody who knows you've lost a bit of your passion you associate more of the hypocrites or the crowd than you do with the passionate followers of Jesus, the disciples that he called. And you just know that deep down inside of you, you need some passion. You need the Holy Spirit to come and fill you again with a passion for who Jesus was. I just want you, boss, everybody's closed, to put your hands up. I'm just going to pray a simple prayer. Nobody can see. It's a really simple one. If you want more, to be more passionate about following Jesus, just put your hand up in the air right now. You know, there's, there's sometimes we're not as good as we think we are. Just keep your hands nice and high. I'm going to pray together. Jesus, right now. For all those people who just need more passion. Maybe they relate to the hypocrites. Maybe they relate to the crowd. I thank you for the example that you give in the disciples of people who are sold out to following you not perfect people, but passionate people. So I pray for every hand, where you begin to release through your Holy Spirit a new passion, a newfound desire to pursue the things of Jesus, to get into his word daily, to be praying daily, to be imitating you in everything they do. We thank you so much for who you are and the wonderful, wonderful example that you give. Jesus name we pray